Welcome to the MediaCat Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Mike Pigger, editor at the magazine. And uh, for today's pod, we have another in our series, Rebel with a Cause, where we explore the relationship between strategy, planning, and creativity. Uh, for this one, we have uh, advertising industry legend Sir John Hegarty in the booth. Uh, and my co-host for this series, uh, creative at Rankin, Opal Turner. Uh, she's interviewing John for this one. Um, so yeah, we just want to say, I hope you enjoy. Uh, over to Opal. So, welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Thank you for tuning in for the next in our series, Rebel with a Cause, with me, Opal Turner. For this series, we are talking about the relationship between creativity and strategy, or in my other words, art, science, and logic. So, it's my pet theory that strategy and planning is a creative's most underused weapon and that we overly separate the disciplines in our industry. And so as my first ECD, John, there is no one in the world I couldn't just I couldn't discuss this subject without talking to you. So our wonderful guest today is the one, the only Sir John Hegarty, creative founder of The Garage Soho, an early stage investor and brand builder. And so as I'm sure we all know, everyone listening to the podcast will know, John has been a paragon of the industry for many, many years for his incredible list of accomplishments and agencies, including, of course, BBH. So John, welcome. Opal, great to be here. Lovely talking to you. Absolute dream to be here sitting and talking with you today. Do you want to start by just telling telling all our lovely listeners um, about the garage and, and the team that you started um, this with after, after leaving BBH? Well, the garage for those, it's actually officially called the garage, so that's how we registered the name. Um, and I quite like that, actually, so... Um, I've always kind of worked in and around Soho. I love it as an area. It's so energising and uh, full of interesting people. And Anyway, uh, but the garage is what they call an early stage investment company. Uh, what we do is we help people with their ideas, uh, their business ideas to one, find finance and then guidance on how they grow uh, their business. And what we constantly say to them is, don't just start a business, build a brand, because a brand is where value will reside. Um, now, uh, some people get that and some people don't. So we started with um, various colleagues, some from the world of finance. Tom Teichman came from Spark Ventures and he was a venture capitalist. And then we had people from BBH, uh, Kevin Brown and Nick Kendall. Kevin was media, uh, Nick was strategy. And then, of course, we had people like the wonderful local Turner who came with design skills because that's a fundamental part of getting people to understand how a brand operates. So the thing about it, that's in my mind, that's really, really interesting is one thing I loved about advertising um, is that you're constantly dealing with different problems every day. So, you know, in the morning you could be in the fashion industry by lunchtime you're having a conversation about automotive, and then in the afternoon, you might be doing something about food or whatever it might be. So this constant kind of awareness of what's going on. And uh, the garage is like that as well, in the sense of somebody's going to come in and say, I've got an idea how I can revolutionise selling mattresses. Um, then somebody's going to come in and say, I want to change the way people interact with their doctor. So you that... Constant stimulation is great, and, and I've always loved that. 
Absolutely, and as did I, of course. Um, so you you brought together this incredible team from from all of these different disciplines and you know for anyone who doesn't know the garage is quite a small team small but mighty of course um but you brought these disciplines so close together and I'm sure absolutely it had a lot to do with kind of the character and the personality and the wonderful people that they are but also to bring media and to bring strategy um alongside your creativity into kind of the startup world you know, to my knowledge, at least at the time was, you know, very unusual. So I'd love to know what more about your thinking of, of bringing those disciplines so close together. Well, one of the things that when um, I helped start BBH, Barton Bobo Hegarty, um, the three disciplines that were represented there were, obviously I was creative, Nigel Bogle uh, was a brilliant account handler, and John Bartle was a planner. And we felt that the key to great success, the key to um, effective advertising was the combination of planning and creativity. Uh, And what planning was doing was giving you a kind of um, insight into the brand, insight into how people were responding to that, and therefore your creative work could work to kind of amplify that or to solve a problem. And the other thing it did, and I, and I love describing it as, and you've got to think about it as, it's like giving you um, a, a, a sort of higher diving board. You can dive further, you can go further, and it helps you put, helps put you into a place where your creative work can be more impactful and in a way more distinctive. And there are lots of examples of that, you know, which I could go into. But it, it was crucial to the success of BBH. And I think that's, you know, when we pitched originally for, uh, for, for new business, we would say to potential clients, the problem you've got is your, your, your strategy is wrong. You, you're not talking to the right people in the right way. Get that right. And then you can do some great creative work. And I suppose an analogy is like a, an architect. You know, you've got to have the structure of the building right, then I can put a, 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 a skin around that building that looks really distinctive. But without that structure, it won't stand up. And that's, in a way, how communication works. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And that's such a wonderful analogy of, of architecture. And, and not least because it's another creative discipline where you have to be kind of equal parts artist and equal parts kind of scientist and, and physicist. An engineer. Yeah, you're an engineer. That's why, you know, the, those great engineering companies like Arab are so highly regarded by architects because architects might come up with a wonderful idea, but they go to the engineer. How do I hold this up? And, and that's, in a sense, your, the analogy with planning. How, this is a great idea, but how do I hold this up? What, what is anchoring it to the market? And what's anchoring it to making it actually work? And inside people's minds. Yeah. I mean, it's why, in fact, in my, my book on advertising, I, I, it's called Hegarty on Advertising, which I never liked, by the way. That was a bunch of publishers who wanted to do that. I actually, the, uh, the subhead is um, turning intelligence into magic. And of course, that is the intelligence is the strategy, the magic is the creative work. So fundamentally important. And and, uh, throughout my life in advertising, I've always worked with people who've been brilliant thinkers like that. The important thing, and John Bartle always used to say this, it, it doesn't put a ceiling on your work. 
it's a, it's, it allows you to leap further. Because actually, even though a strategy might be given to you, this is the strategy, you might leap beyond that. And you have to accept that. But what it does is it allows you to leap further. Uh, and that's what makes it brilliant. It's your, it's your jumping board. It's the, the, like, there's a reason we use that terminology, you know, and, and, it's, and it's absolutely true. And it's, it's so, so interesting that that's something that, you know, as a kind of, um, in a lack of a best term, a strategy for business, that's been something you've repeated over many years. Do you feel like that, that was something you always kind of innately understood throughout your career? Was there, you know, a specific point or person that really taught you, do you know what, this whole strategy planning thing is actually pretty cool? It it did really, because in a way, originally when we came into the industry, it was the account people who would do that. They would be the strategic thinkers. And, you know, you measured a, a great account person by their ability to say, here is the problem. Uh, here's a way of thinking about the problem. This is the, the strategic thinking. And the solution needs to be in that area somewhere. And of course, their ability to sell. So they were, in a sense, the, the planners at that time. And then gradually what happened is we realized that planning within itself should be sort of given its, its own title uh, and actually have people who are specifically planners because it is that important. And the other thing to remember is as we increasingly live in a more and more competitive world, getting that strategy right, getting that access to information that can help you create work that genuinely does work against your audience is fundamentally important. I, I fully agree. I, 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 one of my frustrations and, and interest in this topic is because I, I find it more important than ever that, that we that we plan and, and that we strategize because when you are doing you have a brilliant big idea you're ready to go you've got a lovely TVC if you're putting it then on five different media platforms you know you've got out of home you've got three different types of social so on and so forth you each of those each of those platforms is received in a different way the community there it behaves in a different way and 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 that's where I really think you know planning versus strategy comes into its own because it's understanding the context that your idea is going to be going to be read in and that's something that I feel we we often or too many people lose today because you know we we get distracted or the budgets are too small and so we just do the same thing and try and put it everywhere or I think in a way even more so than that because I do think we live in a, a, a sort of multidisciplined world where choice of things. But actually, I, I go one stage beyond that. I think the real skill is to come up with an idea that unites people, that brings them together. And again, this is where strategy can really, really help. I'll give you an example, which we've used here and you'll know it. Um, when we were asked to pitch for... for um, Johnny Walker back in 2000. Whiskey was in decline. People weren't drinking it. Um, and the answer was, come up with a creative idea that's going to kind of really turn people on to whiskey. We naturally, our system, our, our method uh, of um, uh, working kicked in. And we said, well, wait a minute. There's a strategic 
questions, there's some strategic questions we have to ask. We want to come up with an idea that unites people around us. And so whiskey had always been presented as um, a drink for those who've succeeded. It was always, you know, that was partly what it was about. You've, you've succeeded, you're a success, you're, you know. And um, so therefore the advertising, the communication would tend to have people in penthouses or on backs of yachts and they'd be in tuxedo and all that cliched rubbish. And of course, it was absolutely true. People tended to consume the product in a sense of celebration, I've done well. But the planner, who is going to be interviewed after me, Nick Campbell, the brilliant Nick Campbell, said, wait a minute, success isn't a place. Really successful people never arrive. Um, it's a journey. Um, you never actually arrive constantly or constantly refreshing. And we therefore got to keep walking very, very quickly as a way of talking about celebrating what the Johnny Walker whiskey, how Johnny Walker celebrates success. It says, you know, you never arrive, you keep walking. And that insight, which is what partly planning gives you, you know, when you think about it, Johnny Walker had been around for 150 years, maybe a bit longer, had a striding man as their logo. They never got to keep walking because nobody ever said success isn't a place, it's a journey. That's a wonderful example of how planning, how that kind of thinking helps the creative work get to a very different place. And then you get to create very different kind of advertising that doesn't look like Conventional whiskey advertising looks very diff different and stands out. So it works on a number of fronts. But the point about that also is it gives you an idea that unites people. So it doesn't matter where the idea runs, people go, ah, I get that. And it, it speaks to everybody. And so it's like, you know, if you're you know, you're making a movie, you're 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 making a movie that's going to unite people. They're going to go and see it. They might see it on their phone. They might see it on TV. They might see it on a big screen. They might do that. But you really want an idea that brings people together. And that's what planning helps you get to that insight that, in a way, talks to everybody. And that's what makes it great. Because it's, it's, it's almost an idea that everyone can see an aspect of themselves in. Totally. It, it kind of, I get that. And you take, people come to it and they take different things out of it. It's like looking at a great painting. You know, you, 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 the artist doesn't go, no, I must talk to people of this ilk and that. They, they create a painting that speaks to people in different ways, but it unites them, it brings them together. And that's the genius of great ideas, how it unites people. Uh, and that's what we want more of. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and as I say, I think that's one of the, the things that you've kind of, um, you know, purposely or inadvertently done with how, how you set up your your agencies is that you've you've united these disciplines and these people in a, in you know as we said the the garage team is you know f fairly small and I've always thought that's part of the magic is you know I had an incredible experience here because I you know got to learn as much from Kevin Brown as I did from you as I did from um, Tom as I did from Nick so it was you know it was an incredible way of of, of seeing all of those things. And I think that's why I have this theory now that, you know, in, in a lot of places, creative and strategy are, are overly separated because I've never known them not to be. <laughs> I, I yeah. grew up in a professional sense here. Yeah. So, I mean, 
partly in not professional sense um here so i've always understood them as these these conversations that happen you know one on one every day um that that's kind of how i've learned learned all of all of the skills it's a very, it's, it's, i mean one of the problems i think is with, with a lot of creative people they think strategy and planning is there to entrap them is to is to is to limit their thinking it's not it's actually the opposite it's to liberate their thinking it's to take them into a place where oh I, I could go there i could do that i mean going back to the johnny walker example all of a sudden we were able to create communication for, for, for a whiskey ad that didn't look like whiskey advertising because all of a sudden we were saying to people, keep walking. And we came up with brilliant, I think, personally, brilliant, brilliant communication that really worked in the marketplace. Had we not had that fantastic insight that led us to keep walking, we wouldn't have done that. We would have kind of been in a kind of whiskey-ish place. And instead of that, we elevated whiskey to, a, to Johnny Walker to a completely different place and created a very successful campaign for them. Because as, as well as the idea in, in execution, it liberated you from, from mm. all of those kind of traditional, quote-unquote, premium cliches totally, and stereotypes. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, suddenly you weren't doing all those things. And that, that's part of what creativity is trying to do, is trying to break out of the conventions that's so why, you know, we say there are no rules. It, it's, it's the people, if you look at great art movements, art movements are the ones where they broke with the tradition that went before them and they said, this is what we're doing. And in, in a sense, I think great artists did understand strategy. I mean, the Bauhaus did have a kind of strategic thinking. It was, you know, uh, less is more. It was a kind of philosophy that then helped them design and, and, and create. And, and you look at all art movements, they had almost a manifesto. They would talk about their manifesto. This is what we believe in. And that had strategic thinking in, in, in its, at the heart of it. They weren't strategists. They didn't think about it in the okay, but they were natural strategists. And, and creativity has got to be, um, uh, has got to understand that and, and work with that and understand it's, it's, it adds value to what they do. It, it's powerful. And it, it's funny that you say philosophy, because I often think of kind of strategy and planning as it's it's the philosophy or the purpose or the mission that you set to create with your idea. Mm. And that leads you to something so much more powerful than kind of going in with, you know, simply an execution. Um Obviously, your phrase, 80% idea, 80% execution is etched into my soul. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, a, it's another way that I think kind of people often get those two almost mixed up Yeah. in a way. The, obviously, they're so integrally entwined, but they do each have, you know, their own space. Um, and I think, in my mind at least, you know, strategy and planning helps you helps you get to a great idea, and it helps get you to a great and relevant execution of that idea. And then execution, which is again something else that gets overlooked, doesn't it? You know, people Massively. think today, oh, it's easy to do. I've got the idea. No, you, you, you that you, you, yes, fundamentally important. But now you've got to make that idea come alive. It only comes alive when I can see it, when I can feel it, when I can touch it, when I can smell it, when I can, I can, I can explain it to somebody else. Oh, I've seen this great idea. Um, and that's where execution becomes fundamentally important. Absolutely. And, and it has to be 
the the coming alive moment it has to be fundamentally that execution has to be rooted in the the kind of center of that idea i find sometimes you know we'll be having conversation where the kind of execution lives over here and the idea lives, lives over here and it's it's just bizarre to me because i i'm like that's that's what we're trying to bring alive with the execution in your words um and so, obviously, I'm just agreeing with everything you're saying now, which is <laughs> not a surprise to anyone, I'm sure. Well, great minds think alike, don't they? Yeah, well, they you're too kind, too yeah, kind. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm interested, John. I mean, I feel, you know, based on our conversation and, and based on how you started BBH and, and the garage, um, and for anyone who doesn't know, which I highly doubt there will be any, you've had an early hand in starting a lot or, or, or shaping a lot of great agencies in, in your career. And I wonder... If you were starting a creative agency again today, would you organise the agency structure or the departments kind of any differently than than you did at BBH? Do you think it the way the world's changed has influenced that, or would you keep things? You know, it's a very very good question, and I, I, I obviously have been asked this before, and it, and it's a it's a killer question. You know, the truth of the matter is. I'm not sure there's a lot I would do differently. I mean, what I would do, I can tell you right now, is I wouldn't have open plan. I would have offices where people could go uh, and and talk with their partner, the person they love working with. Um, I would have spaces where they could share so people could meet and talk. And that now is a, you know, you can't open anything today without a coffee bar being part of it. But I, I do think that is is interesting. You know, I went to, um, was it, you know, I always say, you know, principles remain, practices change. You know, having an idea, it, it, it hasn't changed for the last 5,000 years. You know, how do you have an idea? That continues and our business is driven on ideas, then how do you execute that idea, of course, changes over time, naturally. But fundamentally, what we do is much the same. I would, I, I suppose I would, I would have much more, maybe more focus on how you create meaningful content. That gives you another opportunity. But fundamentally, I think it's the same. What I think has happened, which I think is very bad. I think we've created these open plan spaces that just becomes uh, a diversion to actually thinking. And there's now a lot of evidence and they're they're producing it saying, actually, open plan is not good for productivity. It it renders, uh, it reduces productivity and that people need a space they can go and work in. I was fascinated, actually. I, I was very lucky. I had... I met up with John Lasseter, who the man who founded Pixar, uh, did wonderful movies, and he talked and he showed. We worked there, and I, I had lunch with me, and, and he showed me how they worked. And what they did is that they they had spaces where their animators and writers could work together, and they made them their spaces. Particularly, they decorated the way they wanted. It was their space. It was like their studio, and then they designed the offices so that people had to walk past each other to get to the ubiquitous coffee bar, of course, and the toilet even, you know, on the way to... So they did that purposely to force people to kind of mingle at right moments. And I think, you know, there they are producing the most amazing content, the most amazing movies, hugely successful. Um, And 
you know, if you're running a, a, a an agency, there's not much different. You're you're creating content, call it advertising, call it branded content, call it what, and you've got to engage and entertain people. And you need ideas. You need ideas to be executed brilliantly. You know, you need to be you know strategically you know uh, on target and all of those things. But in a sense, you're doing much the same. So, what would I change? Maybe the layout of the office. Maybe the layout of the office. Put more coffee bar. Put a bigger coffee bar in, I think, what I would do. Um, So, I do think, actually, that creating... I've talked about, you know, the future of an office as being more like a club, a place you want to be. And, and we talk today, you know, should we be working from home? Should we that? And, and I read all these articles that people go on about. And, and of course, you know, people are saying, well, I quite like working from home. But if you're working in a creative environment, and serendipity is fundamentally important. The odd conversation is fundamentally important. You know, you don't bump into people on Zoom. And it, when you bump into people and have a strange conversation, suddenly an idea can pop out. And you want to create a culture, a place where one, it's really great going to. God, I love being there. Clubs are a bit like that, so we can learn from clubs. Uh, and create an environment where people can have privacy, but also when they want to have a conversation and chat to people. So I, I, I think... When people talk about, oh, is the office dead? No, the office is going to evolve. It's going to become a place where, wow, I want to go there. And that's what I think so frequently, actually, is it's not that, that, that everyone loves working from home so much. I think it's working from the office in the way that many offices are set up doesn't work for them. Because, as you say, they don't have, you know, that quiet space to, to kind of deep work. You've got to be, it's, it's, I, I often think of it, you know, if I was going to start an agency, it, it's very much a, like that Pixar conversation. It's you've just got to be very intentional about where people spend their time. And if they are going to come in and they are going to be together, make sure it's, you know, a wonderful environment to do that. As you say, they enjoy being there and it's a pleasure, not not a harm. And then make sure they've equally got, whether that's in the office or at home, that that quiet space to do what they do as they do it, because everyone works differently, and and do your deep thinking and do your research, and you don't want someone asking you every five minutes about something you're not working on at that moment. Um, you know, and- it's, it's, you're completely right. That's why I think that whole hot desking thing is a nonsense. And of course, you've got to go back and who was selling that? Technology companies were selling that because hey, you've got to use our technology more. I mean. You know, if Picasso was around today, would he be hot desking? No. He'd, he'd find a place where he could be who he wanted to be. And that's what you want. You want to create spaces where people come to it and say, this is where I can be what I want to be. And I feel good in this space. I've got that picture there. I like that bit of stimulation. And create that. Create that sort of uh, ability for people to personalise something. So when they come in, they feel relaxed. They feel fun. You don't create great work with fear. You create great work by making people feel they can play. Mm. You know, play is one of the most creative things you can do. Give them a space where they can feel they can play. And when they can play, they will have great, have really enjoy themselves, they'll have fun and they'll come up with great ideas. And the idea of kind of open plan, hot desking where I compete for this, I want to go, it's just negative. And of course, 
you know, it was wonderful because it was cheap to do. You didn't have to put offices up, so that was cheap for the companies doing it. And, and office solutions sold that, you know. And then the technology companies loved it, was using more of their technology. Well, you know, fuck off. I don't want to use your technology. I want to use my brain. That's the best technology I've got. And I want a place where my brain and my thinking and my my way of being can express itself and do what it wants to do. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like people need to be more strategic and more creative with the way that they set up the spaces they work in because they've just, you know, there's so much of a kind of cookie cutter um, repetition of, of workspaces. And, you know, obviously, you know, there's lots of lots of innovation. Co-working spaces have, have changed a lot. But I think it's it's about that intention yeah. of, of making sure people actually get what they need, not what you think they need. I mean, if, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I feel very sad. I go into certain offices and I see lines of desks. I see people looking at a computer screen. They've got headphones on because they're trying to cut it out. And they're not talking to each other. And I always used to say to the people at DBH, you come in in the morning, the thing you've got to do is not turn on the computer, turn on the person sitting opposite you, because that conversation you will have with that person will be unique. Nobody else in the world is having that conversation. You are the two people having that conversation. And you, it's amazing what you're going to learn. Looking at a computer screen, you can see what other people are. They're all looking at the same stuff. You know, you'll see how many people are following that. You've just joined the crowd. I don't want to join the crowd. I want to get out of the crowd. And 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 to your earlier point about, about creating an idea that, that everyone kind of understands and, and can see a bit of themselves in, how are you going to get that by reading... The things that everyone else are, yeah, are reading. Else is reading. You'll you've, just be repeating what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. You've got to be a human being yeah. so you can understand that kind of that that human truth almost to, to use the Well that touches another subject. You know, I always used to say, you know, I, I work in advertising, I don't live in advertising. And great creative people are, are, are kind of they absorb stuff. They're absorbing influences all around them, all coming in, and then they re-emerge as a completely different idea. Oh, I've taken all those influences, all those thoughts, and out comes a really fresh thought. Oh, I hadn't thought of it like that. And that's what you're there to do. So the more input you have that's that's different, that is unique, that isn't like everybody else's, the more possibly your ideas are going to look different from theirs. Mm, absolutely. And and speaking of kind of looking different and kind of going into that executional side a bit more, I, I know you've said before that effective advertising is about persuasion and promotion, but the art of persuasion has, has been either lost or, or forgotten. Does persuasion kind of just come back to the building blocks of storytelling? Because I don't know about you, but I feel like the, the word storytelling is so overused, but the art of storytelling is almost always missing. Well, you know, we are, we are at, at heart storytellers, all of us. That's what, that's what created the first leap. Uh, if you've read Harari's book, Sapiens, he will say to you that the first thing that, that separated us out from the rest of the animal kingdom, we are sapiens, by the way, um, was that we developed fictive languages, as he called it. We were able to tell stories to each other. How that happened, we don't really know. And that meant we could share things without actually having met, because it was a story, and we've heard that story, and therefore we we had something in common with that person, even though we'd never met them before. And so storytelling is, is fundamental to communication. And I think 
It's a way we engage people. And persuasion, but brands got to do two things. One, it's got to persuade. I'm a, I'm a wonderful brand. I'm somebody that you should think about. And then once you've got people say, oh, I like that brand. I like Nike or I like Reebok or I like whatever it might be, Audi or I like that. Then you promote. And what has happened is we've forgotten the persuasion thing. We've gone straight to promotion because technology has said you no need, you, you don't need any more to talk to that broad audience. You can go directly to the people who are going to buy your product. Well, of course, technology company is going to say that to you, isn't it? But the answer is, how do you know who's going to buy my product? How do you know who should be uh, uh, open to, to, to my conversation? And actually, the most important thing you can say about marketing or about a brand is a brand is made not just by the people who buy it, but also by the people who know about it. So it's even important to talk to people who actually are going to buy your product. And if you look at, say, for instance, the genius campaign done by Marmite, it's built its whole advertising on that. It actually talks to people who will never buy their product and because it does love and hate. You know, there are people who love us and there are people who hate us. And they created a brilliant campaign out of talking to people who will never buy Marmite. It enhances its value to the people who love it. So that's what persuasion is about. It's a persuasion about talking to a broad audience to say, this is what we stand for. This is who we are. This is what... And that, putting that marker out there has to be done in a broadcast way. Whatever, however you want to define broadcast, I'm not going to define that for you, but it, it's a very simple word. It broken, break it down, broadcast, so it's broad and you cast it, is in, important. And it's important because it enhances the value of your brand and it attracts people to you. And it attracts people to talk about it who even may not ever buy you, you know, and that's good. That's good. You know, I always use the example of Rolls Royce. I mean, never in my life am I ever going to buy a Rolls Royce. But the fact that I know it's the world's most luxurious car adds to its value and adds to the value to people who want to buy it. So persuasion is fundamentally important. Persuasion works best when it's broadcast like a story. It's broadcast and it's got to be a story that then people hand on and take on and tell to other people. And that's where value resides. So you've got to do both, uh, persuasion. You persuade first, then you promote. Couldn't agree more. And, and is there, there kind of any, any advice or, or direction that you would give creatives today to kind of combat that, that consistent push to promote over persuade? Well, I mean, first of all, recognising that you, know, you don't buy things off people you don't like. That's the first thing, and that's what persuasion helps you do. And, and it's a, a loaded word, persuasion, isn't it? Because, you know, we have the hidden persuaders. But persuasion is simply saying, this is what I stand for. I have values that you might admire, um, that people might respond to, that, you know, you can trust, that, that, that uh, are worth talking about. And so it's fundamentally important that we understand the value of persuasion and what it's there to do. Uh, and make sure you do it in a way which is broad and you've cast it as wide as you possibly can. Mm, it's so interesting just thinking sometimes, just come back to the truth of what the words we use are and really just 
kind of dedicate ourselves to those because so often you know we just get so full of buzzwords and key terminology and it it all starts to be meaningless doesn't yeah, it, it? Does. I, I, I always when i went to I, I spent two and a half years in america setting up bbh over there and uh business cards but i've never handed out more business cards than i've ever handed out in america it was unbelievable and it was weird actually because i thought why am i supposed to be entrepreneur and who cares about that no it's a very status conscious country believe it or not a bit like japan actually in the same way the japanese are the same you give out business cards all the time because they want to know where are you in the hierarchy and i could never work out the hierarchy because i could get somebody's business card in america would say EV, Vice President, Executive Director, all these bloody words, and what does that mean? Is that person more important than that person? Uh, so uh, when I went there, I had on my card um, John Hegarty, founder of BBH, uh, and Ty Montague's art director. And, and it told people, oh, he's the founder, and he works with Ty Montague, and he's the art director. And so at least it gave people a, a meaningful piece of information. And it was like I used to say, to art directors and writers, you know, when they talked about what they did. And I say, you know, it's, it's very simple. It's in your title what you do, art director. You know, you direct the art. It doesn't mean to say you don't do a bit of writing, but that's your responsibility. A writer, copywriter, says on your card, copywriter. Oh, I get that. You write the copy. Very good. I've got it. I've understood it. And yet, we give people all these weird titles. What the hell they mean? I've got no idea. I don't know. Where I'm not convinced the people themselves. They, they probably don't know. Well, it's about status. They want status. So I want to be executive. I want VP. I want these guys. What the hell is it all about? Just do great work. That's your status. Absolutely. I absolutely. And I'm interested to ask you, and 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 largely just because we we've been talking about it a lot at at Rankin and and myself with my creative partner, Luke. I'm wondering what you think about if the creative industry at large at the moment, because of the huge changes that are being made in the tech world, are we getting distracted from those fundamentals of, of persuasion? Because, you know, we're creatives, we get excited about brand new shiny toys. So, you know, do you think what do you think of kind of the, the metaverse or NFTs or all of these emerging technologies? Do you, do you think they're tools? Do you think we're getting distracted by them? Or, or is it a bit of both? Well, I think it's a bit of both, really. I, I think it's incredibly exciting. I mean, I, you know, the metaverse, I, I think, is, is... Well, of course, we, we were there before. Well, it's called Second Life. But the technology wasn't very good and people kind of played in it and they left it alone and it collapsed. Technology now is... Is is in, in improving to such an extent that it it really can be very exciting. How we respond to it, how we react to it, is up to all individuals. I personally think you should never be afraid of the technology. Embrace it. It's going to. It offers you all kinds of advantages. I mean, I know you've heard me say it a thousand times before, but you know, whoever invented the piano. What an amazing piece of technology that was. Look what it helped create in terms of music. Well, you know, that's what technology does. Um, I think the danger, like all those things, is to be so in awe of the technology that actually you don't, you don't care, what can I do with it? Mm. Uh, as opposed to, I'll just use the technology to do something. And 
or, or I'll, I'll just let the technology be the idea. No, technology is not the idea. The technology is the means to convey an idea. And that's what you've got to understand. So, you know, when I look at the metaverse, I think, well, my God, you know, I mean, you're going to be in a world, you can create a kind of, how can I tell stories in that world? What would I do with it? How would I, how would I get people to live? How is it going to actually work? What do people want from it? Um, so there are all elements to it which are amazing, and it'll take time for us to understand it. it you know, it'll settle down. I mean, you know, I always use that example. I, I long time ago, about ten years ago, I did a talk called "Can You Name Gutenberg's Second Book," and and it was about how when an amazing piece of technology comes along. You know, creative people in a sense kind of go, oh, what do I do with this? And they kind of stand back and the technologists take over. So Gutenberg comes along, he invents the printing press and movable type and he revolutionizes communication and, and uh, book publishing. But what did he publish? He published the Bible. Well, that had been around for about a thousand years. What else you done, Goody? You know, he didn't. Now, there are reasons for that. But, I remember. but the point is, he was a technologist. He wasn't thinking creatively, oh, I could write stories now, I could do this, I could get published poems, I could do... He didn't. It took, it took maybe another 60, 70, 80 years before people started going, wow, we could do this with that, why don't we do it? And, that, you know, and I use the example the same with the Lumiere brothers. The Lumiere brothers come along, they invent the moving camera, and, and they didn't realise they'd invented Hollywood. In fact, they gave up on it and went back to photography, didn't realise what they'd created. And it took another 10, 15 years before creative people went, wait a minute, what an amazing storytelling um, uh, 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 idea this could be. We can use the close-up. To, to, we don't have to write clothes in all words. And it changed the way you could tell a story. But it took time. And I think, you know, technology comes along, we all go, wow, this could be absolutely amazing. What the hell are we going to do with it? We don't know yet. And we have to work in it to kind of then go, oh, I'm beginning to understand. You so have to. Exactly, I was about to say, you have to play, you have to explore, you have After to... that wonderful word again, play. It, the best thing in the world, that's, that's what we do for a living, which is why our, our jobs are so fantastic. But, you know, I think so often, as you say, we're led by the technologists. They tell us this is the use case, and we should frankly be ignoring them for at least the first couple of years of any technology, because we need to just get in there and play and go through experience, go, wow, this is the value of this space. I've just made this incredible connection with this person that's the other side of the world because of this beautiful piece of, you know, AR art or whatever it might be. Um, and, and that's very much kind of my own philosophy is I think it's incredible. Like we have all of these new incredible ways to create stuff that comes from our heads. Like how can you not be excited about that? But obviously there's always going to be examples where people use it wrong or they use it boring. It's a tool. I, I think the other thing, there is also, interestingly with certain creative people, a fear. A fear that, that they understand how their creativity works in certain areas and that with this new area, am I, am I going to be out of a job? And so they, they are in fear of it. And I mean, this happened in the world of advertising, you know, I've been around so long, not that I was there then, but I remember the stories of when television came along, advertising was dominated by poster artists. They were famous, Abram Games, people like that. They were fantastic what they did. Along came television and it required a different kind of 
creative application. And these people kind of faded away, really, because they didn't have the ability to go from being poster artists to going, oh, advertising has now moved to this amazing medium called television, which is very, very powerful. Um, how do I tell a story in that medium? They were so locked into being a poster artist that, as I say, their, their careers dwindled. And which is very sad because they, they were doing brilliant work, but they never they never transitioned to that new technology or or worked in it or played with it or I could do this with it, I could work in that way with it. And I think we've got to be understanding of creative people who kind of get fear comes into it. Because I can see why they think that. But to say, no, don't worry about it. This is how you should engage it. Have some fun with it. You could do that with it. And and in the end, it's going to be your friend. It's not a foe. Mm, absolutely. I mean, to our earlier point is, is create an environment where they feel safe to play, where they feel safe to explore with that technology. So and see and see what it can do. And I think that's the other great thing is, you know, obviously humour has always been such an important part of your work and even your family's work, Elliot's work, um, brilliant director, anyone who doesn't know. Um, and, you know, it's it's joy and it's laughter and it's, it's so important. And I think that's one of the best things about this new technology and even new social platforms like TikTok, they're just fun and silly. And it's that, that human humanness yeah, that we can all relate to. More, please? Can, we, can we make people feel good in a world which is bereft with all kinds of, of, of problems? You know, can we just make our communication industry a bit funnier? You know, God, that was funny. That made me laugh. I mean, laughter is one of the, the healthiest things you can do. So let's make people laugh more. Laugh more, you'll live longer. You hear that, everyone? Straight from the straight from the horse's mouth. Um, everything you need to know today. So that's a wonderful note to to wrap up on, John. I just want to before before we leave it, ask you. Um, I know the garage are garage Soho are launching a business of creativity course on September the nineteenth. So I'd just love to know um, and and tell our listeners a little bit about it and what drove you to to start it and and where we can find out about it. Yes, we're starting, it's, it's a series of masterclasses. Actually, I don't like using that word, but it sounds very grand, doesn't it, masterclasses. It's, it's a, a, a series of talks that I'm giving on um, creativity. There are eight of them. And the reason it came about is that uh, throughout the pandemic, it was when we were in lockdown, I was constantly being asked uh, to give talks to various companies about creativity uh, because they sensed that they needed it. And I, do a talk and it would last about 40 minutes. And every time I came away from it saying that I've only covered off a fraction of what I need to talk about to get them to understand it. And um, I was then reading, there was this wonderful piece by McKinsey uh, saying that those companies that engage positively with creativity um, created better returns for their shareholders. And I thought, this is this is talking to us. So I thought, I've got to get companies to understand that creativity isn't something that you just tap into occasionally. But actually, creativity, one, businesses are inherently creative because you have to have an idea, you have to think of it, you have to kind of package it, you have to, you know, all these things are creative. And it is like breathing to an athlete. And so um, I'm focusing it on, um, it's called the business of creativity. It's focused on companies and how they can engage with creativity, understand it, understand the value of it, how to 
bring it more into the company, how to make it a part of what you do, and how to generate success from that. So there are a series of eight lectures, and then at the end of them, end of each one, I interview a fairly famous business person that has been involved in creativity in some way or another. So hopefully they're fun, um, enjoyable. And uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. And it's, it's, it's great to do it. We filmed them. They've all been shot. We're editing and putting them together. So if anybody feels they need to understand creativity <clears throat> a little bit more, go online, go to the business of creativity and you'll see what we're doing. Sign up now, everyone. It's going to be incredible. I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever. So thank you, John, so much. It's been such a lovely conversation. Oh, um, always wonderful. wonderful. It's lovely full circle moment for me as well. It's absolute pleasure. So thank you, John, for coming on the Media and Cat magazine podcast. My pleasure.